Hello everyone, I'm Rory McDonald from the Dairy Australia farm team and you're welcome to a special dairy pod episode this week, our first ever episode from Tasmania. With plenty of water on many dairy farms across Australia right now, irrigation might well be the last thing on many people's minds. But before we know it, the warmer weather will be here and irrigators will once again be working hard to maintain that precious moisture in their soils. In this dairy pod, Dr. James Hills from the Tasmanian Institute of Agriculture and Dairy Taz Regional Extension Officer Liz Mann will take us through the steps for pre-season checks and once it's all up and running, tell us how to set your intervals to make every drop count. James is also a lead researcher for Smart Irrigation for Profit Phase 2, so he's up to date with all the latest information for boosting productivity on irrigated farms. James, we're, we're talking today about irrigation. Um, when we're recording this, it's the middle of winter, but surely there's something farmers can be doing to consider their irrigation season now? Yeah, certainly. So this is the key time to start thinking about checking your irrigation system so that when we reach the season start, we're not going to have anything that's going to delay that startup process. Um, Typical pre-season checks that would be really valuable would be to look at your irrigation system, make sure that you know, the, the pumps are operating, that they're operating to the specifications that they were meant to be operating to. You know, a lot of situations we've seen out there when we've gone and done some system assessments is that the impellers in the pumps are all worn and so what they were designed to be able to, to achieve no longer is able to be achieved, so the pressures aren't right. So you know, doing some checks now, while the, the system is down um, is really important around that to make sure that everything is, is what, what it should be. Um, simple things like um, you know, starting up your system and having a quick look to see where the, where the major leaks might be for instance and, and making sure that you've, you've gone and either organised to have them repaired or components replaced. Um, things like you, 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 if you've got some big um, pivots or linears or, or, or laterals, um, making sure that all your motors for your wheels are all up to scratch and, and, and no, not ready to fail on you. Um, some of those basic things I think are really, really important um, because one of the big issues is that when you get to the irrigation season and the start of it, everybody's really wanting to suddenly start up. They suddenly find those issues, oh, we've got to get this fixed. They go and try and find a service provider to do it. They're busy at that time. And once you delay, you can have a big impact on, on your productivity. Um, of your system. So you mentioned startup there. How important is it to get that startup bang on correct? Yeah, it's it's very important not to delay um, startup, um, primarily because it has a big impact on the um, growth rate of your pastures uh, under irrigation or your crops under irrigation. So we we did quite some work quite some years ago to look at that impact um, and. What we, what we found and then modelled was that you know, for every day's delay in starting irrigation where the soil moisture has dropped down below what we call the refill point, and we can, we can explain that a little bit in a minute, um, but once it's dropped below that, then um, for every day's delay, then you're losing about 100, 105 kilos of dry matter per hectare per day's delay across the irrigation season. So you know, if, you, if you look at that and do some pretty basic figures and say, well, I've, I'm gonna delay my irrigation 10 days past when I should have been irrigating because the soil's starting to dry out in the beginning of the season, um, that those 10 days multiplied by 100 kilos is a, is, a, is a ton of dry matter per hectare, multiplied by however many hectares um, you've got under irrigation, certainly starts to become pretty significant in terms of the feed loss. So 
talking about the refill point, how then do farmers know when they've reached that refill point? Okay, so one of the key things we need to really understand is uh, at what point have we reached refill point, at what level of soil moisture is that refill point at, and it'll be different for a whole heap of different soils. Mm -hmm. So it's really good to be able to try and determine, first of all, what type of soils you have on your farm, um, and then secondly, once you understand that, to, do, to work out how much readily available water that soil holds within the root zone. So if you've got an idea of how much water is in your bucket that your plants can use, that'll tell you where the refill point is. So uh, for different soils, the amount of readily available water is different. And so in, in different areas, there may well be something you can look up because people have done some work on it. So down here in Tasmania, someone like Bill Coching has done quite a bit of work to, to determine how much readily available water is in the different soils. So if you, if you look at a, a clay loam, um, there's going to be typically down here you know, 20 to 25 millimetres of readily available water in a 30 centimetre um, zone, which is typical for your root depth. Um, whereas you go to a sand, there might only be 10 to 15 millimetres of water in that same um, zone because not so much water can be held by a, a sand as opposed to a, a clay loam. Um, and so you need to be able to work out, well, what is the amount of readily available water that you have? And once you know that, then as you come into the season from winter where everything's wet and you start to see the, the fact that water is being used and the soil is starting to dry out, you can keep an eye on what is called the evapotranspiration rate, which is the amount of water that is being used by the system and coming out of the system. And we'll explain that a bit more in a, in a, in a minute. Um, but if you can track that, you can start to see that uh, water is going out of the system if you know how much rainfall is coming into the system, you can start to keep a water balance. You can say, okay, today I've lost four millimetres and it hasn't rained. Tomorrow I've lost four millimetres, that's, that's eight millimetres. Um, and, and the third day I've lost another three or four millimetres, that's 11 or 12 millimetres. So within three days I've gone from field capacity down to um, uh, using about 12 or 13 millimetres of water. Okay. Once you reach that, whatever that um, readily available water bucket size is, once you get down to that, no, it might be 25 millimetres, once you get down below that, um, then you're dropping below your refill point. Um, so understanding how big your bucket is, uh, in terms of how much water is in your soil, um, as well as then following how much is going out of your system, is going to tell you when you're going to be reaching that refill point and when you need to be ideally starting up. So that's one way. Understand how much is going out of your system and understand how much you can hold in your system, the readily available water. The other way you can really do it is to, is to use something like a soil moisture probe. So if you have a, a soil moisture probe in the ground, then you'll be able to start to see that as you come out of winter, that the, the soil moisture signature from the, um, the, the soil moisture probe is going to start to drop. Um, and if you've installed a soil moisture probe and you've had it set up right and you've got on, on your um, on your graphs, your, your refill point and your fuel capacity, once you start seeing that line head towards the, the refill point, well, you know you're in a position where you have to start up. With startup, you're heading towards that refill point. You don't necessarily exactly want to hit that refill point, do you, before you start. You're sort of wanting, my understanding is you want to start just prior to hitting the refill point, particularly with startup, just put a little bit on and 
try and keep moisture in the system so that you're not hitting refill point and at when you're starting because your paddocks at the end will be below refill point. Is that correct? Okay, so that's an interesting point. Obviously, if it takes you like, four or five days to be able to get around a particular um, irrigation program, so if you've got if you've got some hard hoses and you've got you know, four or five runs before you get back to where you started, you're going, yeah, well, it's four or five days before you've reached that furthest point. And so if you've already hit refill point before you even start, well, then you're going to be dropping below in those, those later paddocks. So, so sure, um, a lot of people think about the fact that once we get about halfway down, we'll start to think about the process of starting that, that irrigation season. So if you've got 25 millimetres of readily available water, um, when we get down to maybe 14 or 15, I've definitely got to be starting so that I make sure that as I go around my, my irrigation um, program, that I'm actually keeping adequate water in that readily available zone for everything. Um, now pivot irrigation is a simple one where uh, often it can take a couple of days for that pivot, for instance, to get right round. So you certainly don't want to be starting mm. when you've hit refill point. The other issue with delaying till you've hit refill point is that if your system capacity, and we can talk about that later if you want, if your system capacity, the ability to put water in is not much greater than what is happening in terms of the evapotranspiration, the amount of water going out, well, if you end up getting behind and we have no rain, you can have a real problem in catching up. So by dropping it right down a refill point, you're actually starting to put yourself into a, a risky situation. So you've mentioned evapotranspiration a couple of times. Now, what is that number? Where can you get that number? Because it's not something I could readily and easily calculate myself. Is there somewhere where I can get that number from? Yeah. Um, so the Bureau of Meteorology, for instance, no, they certainly publish that for all of their um, weather stations and they also uh, have a gridded map process which enables you to be able to work out what that evapotranspiration rate might be on a six by six kilometre grid so you can get some data that's reasonably close to to where you might be. Um, it's calculated um, as, a, as a figure based on uh, things like your wind speed, your temperature, your humidity and your solar radiation so they're some of the key factors that are involved in that calculation to, to determine evapotranspiration but essentially what it is it is the amount of water that is being used by both the plants, that's the transpiration component, and the amount that is coming off the ground. So that's the evaporation component. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of how, how much the plant's using plus how much is being lost from the, the, the ground surface. Um, so that evapotranspiration rate is how much water is being pulled out of the soil. Um, if you want to think about it in terms of your Particular site, what you've got to be really careful of is if, if you're going to the Bureau of Meteorology or somewhere like that where they're doing those calculations and you're picking that data up from a weather station that's based at a say an airport or somewhere in a city or something then you've got to be careful that that evapotranspiration rate actually is applicable to your situation because you might be you know, in a farming situation where there's a lot of pasture as opposed to an area where there might be a lot of concrete or, or bitumen and so the the um, the whole issue of you know, wind speed and particularly uh, solar radiation are going to be different and it's going to have a big impact on that evapotranspiration rate. So you've got to make sure that you've got something that's applicable to your farm. But you know, there are certainly ways in which you can just, you know, using using the internet, um, look up um, and, and obtain those those figures. Or well, I mean, in the past it used to be you'd get your weekly paper and you'd go down there and you'd look at the column and you'd say, here's my evapotranspiration rate. Um, but you want to not only know what is the evapotranspiration rate today, but you want to have a bit of a look at, well, what does it look like over the next week? So you want to be looking at a forecast of evapotranspiration. So there are uh, ways in which you can take that from um, the Bureau of Meteorology. So 
we've got startup. We've hit startup right, James. So we've listened to this podcast. We've got it all correct. We move into the season. How? And I, I think I've I've seen research. I could be wrong on this one, but where the amount of water that you're applying, some people will actually be over applying water, and some people will be under applying water, and that greatly affects your pasture growth. How do you know that you're getting the right amount of water on, and how do you go about making sure you're getting that right amount of water on each time? Okay, that's a, a question that probably has a number of components to be able to So there's a few things. First of all, if we're thinking of getting the right amount of water on, then we need to think about how we schedule our irrigation. So I think it really relates to this whole issue of scheduling. So how are we going to schedule when we're going to irrigate and how much we're going to put, need to put on? To be able to really work that out, well, first of all, we need to understand how much water our soil holds. We've already talked about that, the readily available water. So we need to know that for our site and remember it's different for different soil types. If you've got more than one soil type on your, on your um, irrigated area, you need to look at what is the most limiting. So if you've got an area that only holds 15 millimetres, that's the most limiting um, as opposed to something that might hold 25 millimetres because 15 millimetres is going to run out quicker than 25 millimetres. So you need to know how, how much water your soil can hold, readily available water. The second thing you need to understand is how much water you are capable of putting in with your irrigation system. And that's what we call our irrigation system capacity. So different irrigation systems that have been designed will have different capacities. So we need to know how much is there, we need to know how much we can put in, and the third thing in that equation is we need to know how much is going out, and we've talked about evapotranspiration. So they're the three key components of trying to understand how to get irrigation right. So what you want to do is you want to um, keep your soil moisture between your refill point and your fill capacity. So when it comes to scheduling, say for instance you've got a situation where you've got a, a clay loam, you've got about you know, 20 odd mils available water in your root zone. Um, what, you'll, what you'll do is you'll say, okay, we've just had a nice rain event. We're at fuel capacity. Um, once we've hit that point, what we need to do is say, okay, well, from here on, I want to make sure that I'm keeping an eye on how much water's going into the system and how much water's going out of the system. So that when I do that water budget, I'm making sure it stays within that 20 to 25 millimetres so that the bucket's not running out and the bucket's not overflowing. Okay, so you want to go between your refill point and your fuel capacity. To be able to do that, then we need to be able to Know, track um, know, when we put irrigation on and how that relates to how much is going out of the system. So say for instance you've got a week ahead of you and you're saying okay I want to know when I'm going to irrigate. Um, I'm about at fuel capacity now, I've got this week ahead of me. So you'll, you'll grab some information around evapotranspiration for example and you'll say okay the prediction is that today there's going to be four mils, tomorrow there's going to be five mils, the next day there's going to be four mils and you'll have a look at that week that's ahead and typically no, in, in regions down here in Tasmania, for instance, you might end up using 30 to 35 millimetres of, of water going out of the system in a week. So you say, okay, if I need to have that much going out, that means I need to be able to replace that. So I've got to put that water back into the system. So if my irrigator is capable of putting in, say, six millimetres a day, then if I look at six millimetres a day over seven days, then I need to be able to 
achieve 30 odd mils, I can probably put in, what's that, six, seven to 42 mils. So therefore, uh, I need to be applying that water just about every day to be able to keep up. Now, you wouldn't want to do it every day because you'd be putting on a little bit too much. Um, the question then comes to the point where you say, well, should I be just putting on six millimetres every day because that's what my capacity is, that's how much my um, system is able to put on if I turn it on and leave it running um, 24 hours a day, or should I put on 12 millimetres in one day by speeding it up and putting on more um, in one day and then have a day off and then 12 millimetres the next day and a day off. You know, so depending on, on how you want to approach it, you need to think about what's my capacity Therefore, how often do I need to irrigate to make sure I stay between my refill point and my fuel capacity? Uh, so water budgeting is a tool that I think is really important to help you to do that by understanding evapotranspiration, understanding how much water's there and understanding how much water you can put in. Yep. So that's just got me thinking, if people out there are looking at um, changing their irrigation system or upgrading or putting in irrigation, this is really something they need to be considering as well, uh, particularly around your pivots and your laterals, linears, um, around pack capacity and how much can be applied in one pass really, isn't it? Because if you are putting on a um, pack that, that's too small, you will drop yourself below that refill point, won't you? The, the risk is that that will happen, particularly in summer. Yeah, yep. so um, it's, it's an important point and, and we need to think about this as applicable to uh, all areas. So here in Tasmania, we're gonna reach a, a maximum loss of water, evapotranspiration of say six to seven millimetres you know, in the January, February period. So you'd be saying, okay, if that's what my um, you know, maximum and the average might be more like six, six and a half, um, in terms of the amount of water going out, then I need a pack size that it can at least keep up with that, is, is the, the theory there, or pretty close to it. The thing is you're not always, no, you'll, you'll have certain days where you're getting six to seven mils lost, but then the next day you might only have four because a bit of cloud comes in. So on average, you, you know, six to seven mils down here. But you go to South Australia, where their typical evapotranspiration rates during um, the summer period are uh, 12 to 14 millimetres, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to think about, well, uh, how can I manage to have a system that's going to be able to replace mm -hmm. that 12 to 14 millimetres or 15 millimetres going out every day? Mm -hmm. So understanding what your evapotranspiration rate is will help you to understand perhaps what the minimum might be in terms of a pack size. Um, and then you've got to think about your own risk profile. So somebody might say, well, I'm happy to put in a system that's only at five and a half to six millimetres down here in Tassie because that will enable me to potentially keep up irrigation during the peak and I'm saying potentially if everything goes right mm. because if you have a breakdown you know, early January and everything's shut down over the Christmas period and you can't get your, your parts and you can't fix it and you're not watering for a week very quickly you're going to drop below that refill point and if your system is only capable of putting in the five or six mils to replace what's going out and you get no rain for that next month which is pretty typical in places like down here, then it doesn't matter that once you've got that system um, repaired that you turn it on and leave it on 24 hours a day, you're never ever going to put enough water into the system to lift it above the refill point. And so you're going to be constantly watering even though you're going flat out and only getting about half your productivity. So uh, it's really interesting that if you're under watering and you're below the refill point, 
then your production will drop from what could be typically you know, possible, and it depends on your region and your temperature and all these different things, but you know, typically it could be you know, 70 odd kilos of dry matter per hectare per day, you can drop down to 30 to 40 very quickly. And even though you're putting water in, if you're at that level, you're going to really struggle to be able to get that production back. So, so what a lot of people say is, okay, well maybe we need to put a pack size in that's slightly bigger. So depending on your risk profile, okay, I'm going to put one in that might be eight or nine millimetres so that I'm capable, if I break down, of putting more in than what's going out so that I can start to catch up again. The big issue with going too big on that end of things is that as you increase the pack size, you increase what is called the total dynamic head, so the amount of energy that is required to shift that water. Because your pipes are going to be bigger, your, your, your sprinklers are going to be bigger to achieve the, the, the bigger flow um, so that you're able to put more on. And so therefore the energy costs of applying that water with a bigger pack size is higher than at a smaller pack size. So for every time you turn that on and it's running, it's going to be costing you more. So if you go too big, then you're wasting your energy. If you go too small, then you're risking the ability to catch up if you actually break down. So I'm not going to say what is the most appropriate. That's it depends on the individual and their risk profile. Uh, what they uh, they might be someone who says I'm going to stick it six millimeters because I know that in 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 summer I can turn on and leave it running 24 hours a day and make, basically keep up and don't have to think about scheduling. If they've got a whole heap of stock there that can help them to repair something really quickly in the background because they're really really organised, well perhaps that's their model for going forward. So uh, maybe you've got to think about how much is going out and how much you can put back in. Yeah. So essentially, that's what irrigation is: how much is going out and topping that bucket up. Yeah. Yeah. If you think of a, of a gun situation, so we've talked a little bit about um, uh, pivots and, and so forth. But if you think of a um, say a hard hose, often people will say, "Well, my irrigated area is going to be these six runs." Um, if I look at those six runs and I'm capable of putting 25 millimeters in or 30 millimeters on a run, but it takes me six days to get from one end to the other and then back again. If I'm in the middle of summer where I'm losing no, six to seven millimetres a day and I'm losing over no, 40 millimetres in that, in that week, well, by the time I get back, I'm actually starting to dry out too much. So the question then would be, what's my system capacity? How can I change that? Well, drop one runoff. Yeah. No, and then you're probably going to be able to get back quicker. So think about the area that you're irrigating in relation to your system capacity. So it's not only for pivots, but it can apply to all these other systems as well. Anything else that you think farmers might need to consider in their systems or consider to make sure they're getting the most out of their irrigation for this coming season? Yeah, I think perhaps just to mention some of the tools that can help. We've talked a little bit about the theory of scheduling and knowing how much water is in your soil and the possibility of using a soil moisture probe. Um, what about some of the water budgeting tools that are out there, for oh, instance? Yes. We probably haven't talked so much about those, but now there are a number of water budgeting tools that can help to do that budgeting process um, for scheduling. Yep. Um, so one of them that we're using within a current um, project, uh, the SIP2 project, um, Smart Irrigation for Profit 2 project, is um, is called Erie Pastures. And so that is a program that enables you to be able to enter your irrigation events. It also automatically draws in weather data so that you've got the evapotranspiration data coming in for you and it, it'll be able to, to take in your soil moisture data from your soil moisture probes. Because with a water balance tool, over time you might get out of balance in terms of what the soil moisture is like when all you're doing is calculating evapotranspiration, which is an estimate of what's going out, with rainfall and irrigation that's going in, you might get to the point where you need to recalibrate that 
to say, hey, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're telling me that we're re reaching um, a refill point, but actually this, the moisture is a lot higher, and that's where a moisture probe already linked to that system is really good because it can do a, a check to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to re reset our budget. Um, and so that tool is a tool that farmers can use, enter in their irrigation, and it'll, it'll calculate their water budget, you'll be able to see a nice little line coming along and you can make sure you keep it within your refill and your, your, your fuel capacity um, zone, so your readily available zone, and, and it'll help your planning then going forward. Um, there are other pro, um, products out there, so Swan Systems have a, a, an irrigation management system in place and that um, has more complicated possibilities because it also enables your actual flow rate from your your irrigator system to be fed in, so it's it's automatic calculating exactly what's going into your system, not just what's coming in through a rain gauge or through what you're entered. So you don't even have to enter your irrigations because it'll actually determine what's happening by picking up that flow data. So essentially, it's it's monitoring all the time what's going on and then saying, well, this is what I believe you need to be scheduling. So it's kind of doing that job for you yeah. um, based on the information that it's picking up um, from your system. So so those, those tools are out there. Um, uh, Irisat's another one that's uh, as a tool that's available and it's really good for crops other than pastures for instance um, where you might have a maize crop or something in yeah. um, and, and that's a free tool so um, some of them are free some of them you'd have to subscribe to but those tools are there and I think they're really useful to have a look at to help you in making those decisions. Yeah because I think years ago um, wasn't it down on Rosemount where you did some re research with regards to the first Smarter Irrigation Program showed they were over-irrigating, is that right? Or I can't remember whether it was over or under-irrigating, and the amount of money that they could save or produce just by getting it within that was no. quite significant. From yeah, so that was um, down at uh, a farm in Cressy, yeah. um, and the, the key thing that we noticed there when we just did a year of monitoring, so we didn't interact with the farmer at all, we just said, well, what are you doing? The key thing there was that they were underwater. Yep. So what had happened is that they hadn't responded appropriately to start up of irrigation and allowed the soil to dry down too much. The capacity of that system was about 6.7 mils, so they could put about 6.7 mils in. They hit January and it was a very dry period. We didn't have any rainfall at all right through the whole of January. Um, and the evapotranspiration rates were relatively high, it was a hot season, and so they were watering according to what they felt was right and the paddocks were green, but their production when we measured it was only about 30 odd kilos. So that's where we identified this situation where soil moisture dropped below the, the, the uh, refill point and they had been watering and feeling comfortable because the pastures looked green, and we, we turned that the green drought. Oh, they're comfortable, and they and they were used to getting about that much production, and so they had a certain number of um, cows or stocking rate on that, you know, and and that's they were comfortable with it. When we actually showed them that they were significantly underdoing it, and they changed their scheduling to make sure they were keeping in the readily available zone, um, they increased their productivity significantly, and that was a hundred and seventeen hectare pivot mm -hmm. that we were working on, and so when you double your productivity from say forty to eighty kilos of dry matter per hectare per day well you've got quite a few hundred tonnes of pasture more that you're growing so suddenly when they changed their practice they had all this pasture and so in the second year we were doing that work 
they didn't have enough cows to eat it. They weren't keeping up with it. And so it was actually starting to go to head and they weren't able to manage that pasture. So the year after that, they actually increased their, their stocking rate. Now, I'm not saying that's that's necessarily the right way to go. You've got to be careful from a sustainability point of view that you don't you know, overdo your system. But you've got to be able to you know, manage that that, that pasture um, effectively because your growth rate will slow down if you allow it to mature as well. So, you know, um, so you might take it off a silage or, or, or something else. But that was a key situation where he was buying a whole heap of grain to supplement what he wasn't growing as, as grass. Um, and when he got it right, he wasn't really using any more water. He was just scheduling it right, so he wasn't allowing it to drop out of the system. He put variable rate on so that he didn't, you know, so he ended up saving some water. So he was actually growing more grass with less water, less energy, and didn't have to put all that extra um, purchase feed in. And so he was looking at you know, savings of, and, I, and he did some back of the envelope calculations just for that those those seasons of, of quite a few hundred thousand dollars. Mm. So really worth it if you get it right. Yeah, exactly. And that's why irrigation and scheduling, start up right, making sure that you um, check your system early. Even if you do a quick run through early, make sure everything's um, actually working prior to start up, starting up on the right time and then scheduling efficiently. That's That probably yeah. sums it up as to why it's so important. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, when you think about checking your system, it's, we've, we've seen some really interesting mistakes that have been made out there um, where uh, if you've got a, a pivot system, obviously you've got your sprinklers and they've got to be put in a particular order. Mm-hmm. We've seen new pivots where the order has been put in backwards and, and it absolutely makes a mess of things. No, so obviously you need to make sure you're sprinkling in the right order. The other thing we've often seen is that a sprinkler will, will break and so the farmer will go to the shed and just pick any old sprinkler and put it on there. But you actually need the right sprinkler for the right spot to get your uniformity right. And we probably haven't talked much about uniformity, mm-hmm. but we need to know how much is going in. And people go to their system and they'll read their panel and the panel says 15 mils and they'll say, oh yeah, I want to put 15 mils on. Uh, today, uh, over the next 24 or 48 hours, however long it takes to go around, okay, I expect 15 mils and they assume that's going on. They hadn't actually gone out and measured it. They just go and put a few rain gauges out there and measure it. What you'll often find is that the figure that it says it's putting on and what it's actually putting on can be quite different by 20 to 30 percent. And we've seen that again and again and again. And so they're saying, great, I'm doing all this calculation of, um, of, of uh, my water budget. I'm assuming this much is going out. I'm assuming this much is going in, and it's not. Yeah. And so they're actually there's a problem there um, mm. because they don't really know how much is going in. So it really is important to check uh, what your system's been calibrated to. Is it actually doing that? And then secondly, how uniform is it? And if you don't have your pressures right, uh, if you think of pressure yeah. on your system, uh, if you've got regulators that are say uh, say 15 psi. What you want to do is you want to look at your system where you've got the greatest distance between in height between where your where your pump is and where the highest point of your system is. You want to go there and you want to have a look at the pressure just above the regulator and you want to make sure it's about 10 psi above what the regulator might be. And then if that's the case, then, then there's adequate pressure in the system and you, your system will be putting it on as uniform as it's been designed to as long as all you, you haven't got wear on your sprinklers and so forth. So you know, your pressure's got to be right. You want your sprinklers to be operating. You don't want any leaks in the system because if once you get those situations, your uniformity of application it gets ruined and so you're not going to get the same amount of water putting, being put on across the whole area. And that means that it's going to have a big impact on productivity. You know? yeah. Cool. All right, I think we might wrap it up at that one, James. So, you know, I suppose the key messages are pre-season checks, Make sure you get your irrigation startup right and scheduling 
pretty much for irrigation. So mm. thank you very much for your time, James. No problem, thank you. Thanks to Liz and Jane for that comprehensive look at how to make the most of your water allocation. You would have heard James and Liz talking about phase two of Smarter Irrigation for Profit, or SIP2 as it's often called. With a large portion of Australian dairy farmers using irrigation of some description, smarter water use can provide big efficiency benefits, with the project aiming to increase average irrigation productivity on farms by 20-40%. to 40%. As part of its contribution to the Smarter Irrigation for Profit Phase 2 project, the dairy industry has established and is helping to manage 17 research and learning sites across Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, Tasmania and New South Wales, including the subtropical border area with Queensland. Smarter Irrigation for Profit Phase 2 is supported by funding from the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment as part of its Rural R&D for Profit programme, as well as Dairy Australia. Further information is available via dairyaustralia.com.au or on the project website at crdc.com.au. Well, that's it for this episode. As always, you can find other Dairy Pod episodes on SoundCloud or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and bye for now. 